We're continuing our series, where it's just, I guess it's a series, but it's something that we're going to be doing uh, over the course of this year, where we're going to look at key stories of the Bible, starting from Genesis, we're going to work our way, and we're going to look at these key stories. And, um, you know, if you look at the front of your bulletin, it has real in the front, and it has, you know, life, people, challenges, and answers. What that's really all about, it's the Bible is real, and the Bible is about real life, real people, real challenges, and that, you know, we're going to see God's real answers. And the exciting thing about that, because the Bible is real, because the Bible is about real life and real people, real challenges, and real answers, that's what we can expect. That's what God wants to uh, demonstrate to us in our lives. That as you live your real life, you know, and, and you go through your real challenges, that God wants to give you real answers to what you're going through. And that's the exciting thing because we don't know what God's going to do every week. But I know that God's going to do something. You know, and I know God's going to do something today. And if you're going through a challenge or you're going, you have a decision to make or you're just going through things, that God will speak to you because that's what he does in his Bible. Because it's about real life, real people, real challenges, and real answers. And God wants to give you real answers. And so that's why I'm so excited about, about this series. Um, so we're going to look at another story today, but you know, I was thinking, how many of you, well, I shouldn't say this, but just, you don't have to raise your hand. How many of you have ever played the game of Monopoly, right? I mean, I think most everybody here has played the game of Monopoly, right? I don't really like the game of Monopoly for two reasons. I said, you know, why did I never, why was it that I never got into Monopoly? And I think one reason was because it just takes so long, right? You know, it's like, man, you can go on for like, Go on and on and on. I want something start, done, finish, yay, you know. The other thing that I don't like about Monopoly, it just, it, it seems kind of mean to me, you know. Yeah, and, and I know it's like, oh, that's surprising because you're like, I'm just like this manly man, right? You think like, what? No, but, you know, it's kind of mean to me that you play and the goal of playing is that you crush and bankrupt your opponents, right? And, you know, they got to look like, Okay, you owe me this much money, and they don't have it, and you're like, yeah, and you know, right? And, and, and that's the whole goal of Monopoly, you know? And so I was kind of looking at that, and according to this book, The Monopolist, Obsession, Fury, and the Scandal Behind the World's Famous Board Game. Can you imagine someone wrote a book like that? Monopolist, um, uh, Obsession, Fury, and Scandal Behind the World's Favorite game, uh, Board Game. I mean, how many of you have read that, Right? And this author, Mary um, Pilan, and, and she wrote this book, and what she said was, in this book, was, and I didn't read the book, all right, I just kind of skimmed, and I heard some things about the book, but it was designed, the, the Monopoly was designed, actually, at its origin, was designed for a really, really different reason and a different purpose. The initial game, the early game, where it came from where Monopoly was inspired from, was this game called The Landlord's Game. How many of you have ever played The Landlord's Game? Okay. Well, that was started in the early 1900s, so I'm pretty sure no one has ever played the landlord game. <clears throat> but it was invented by this woman, um, Elizabeth Maggi, and what happened was she wanted to teach players about the evils of monopolies and land ownership and all that kind of stuff, you see. And, but over time, the focus kind of drifted. It drifted to actually focusing on building rather than preventing, you know, these huge monopolies and just bankrupting your opponents. And that's the version 
of, of the game that, you know, what we experience and what we know of Monopoly today. And it was kind of amazing to me <clears throat> that here was the original intent of the landlord game and how it just, the whole purpose kind of drifted, drifted to the point now it's way over here to it's like instead of preventing and talking about the evils of all greed and all that, now we have Monopoly like, ah, I'm going to take over the board, you know, that kind of stuff. And, um, you know, the truth is, that's kind of how it is in our lives where it's really easy to kind of forget about God, you know, that, that we forget about God, you know, we get so busy, we get so caught up in our lives that we forget about God and we actually begin to drift um, away from God and His standards and, and His design for our lives, you know. And it's something that we all have to be aware of because it's something that is so easy to do. It's one of those things, if you don't do anything, you're going to find yourself slowly drifting that way. You don't got to do anything. You don't have to make a decision. I'm not going to think about God today. It's just, you just, you know, just slowly drifting. It's like you think about work, kids, and you just kind of drift away like that, you know. And, and when we drift away from God and go our own way, what happens is we open ourselves up to like difficulties and, and all kinds of challenges that God wants to protect us from. You know, we just kind of go off on our own, you know. And um, what I'm learning is that we drift away from this intimate, personal, amazing relationship that God has for us. You see, that's, that's God's heart for us. God is not this God who's looking over us and wants to have us under his thumb, and we wa he's watching every move, and he's like, oh, no, there's Mark again. Okay, go get him, and all that. No, he wants to relate to us, just like how we talked about and looked at in Adam and Eve in the garden. And he, he created us to have a relationship with him. And a huge reason why it's so easy, to, it's just so natural, it's so naturally easy to, to drift away from God, is that we all have, we all have been born with a sinful nature, all right? that we all have a sinful nature. And uh, Wayne Grudem in his book, you know, Systematic Theology, um, he, he wrote, Sin is any failure to conform to the moral law of God in act, attitude, or nature. And simply what he's saying is sin is a rebellion against God's standards, right? Here's God's standard, and we just kind of rebel, and we kind of do our own thing. And any time we, we stray away or we fail to conform to what God has in mind for the design of our lives, that's sin, right? And what we learned, and we talked about early in the story of Adam and Eve and all that, was that, that we're all, we, are, we have all inherited a sinful nature because of Adam's sin, right? We were born with a sinful nature. Uh, Psalm 51 verse 5 says, For I was born a sinner, yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. That's the truth, all right? That, that we're all born with an inherited bent toward, um, toward sin, right? And, and if you, you're not sure what I mean, and if, especially if you're a parent, um, just think of your children. No one has to teach them how to do wrong. No one has to teach them how to do... They just miraculously know how, you know, first word, no, no is a great word to them, no. Right? Or they kind of know. They know like they're a little baby and, and every time they cry, mom and dad come running in and they, they're like, they, they catch on. They go, that's kind of cool. But I want something. Ah, there it is again. Right? And, and they kind of learn, you see. 
why is that? You know, babies are so innocent and nice. But see, we're all born with a sinful nature. You know, that's because of the sin of Adam and, and, and it's something that we all are born with. And because of that, um, we have a bent to turn away from God and His standards, you see. We naturally attempt to live our lives according to what we want, what we want our standards to be. And that's why drifting from God is so, so easy. And today what we're going to do is we're going to look at a story of how easy it is to drift from God and His design for our lives. And, 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 and there's going to be some things that I believe God wants to teach us right where we are. There's something that God wants to speak to our hearts. And so let's pray and ask God to speak to us, all right? Let's open our eyes and our ears and our minds and, our, and let's ask God to speak to us, all right? So Father, we just thank you for your word, that we thank you that the Bible is real and it's really about real life and real people and real challenges and thank you, God, that it's all about real answers, God. And you know exactly where we are today and you know how easy it is for us to drift from you. And you know how damaging drifting from you can be. And so, Father, we just pray that today that you would speak to us and we say, come Holy Spirit, come speak. Lead us into truth. Lead us into your truth today. Open our eyes to your word. Open our hearts to your word today in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, last week we talked about Noah and, and this story takes place quite a bit of, you know, years um, later after Noah, many, many, many years later. And it's a pretty familiar story. It's the story about the Tower of Babel, right? And again, um, you know, because the Bible is real, God wants to teach us some important lessons. And so um, if you would turn to your Bibles, if you got it on your phone or brought your Bible Bible, um, um, you can turn to Genesis 11, in your bulletin, there's notes, and you can follow along in the notes. And on the other side of the notes are like small group discussion questions. And during the week, um, our small groups will be going through those uh, this lesson again. And, and you can check our small groups here. And um, yeah, so follow along. I find that sometimes if you, know, you had a tough night last night and you're tired, one of the best ways to stay awake is just take notes, right? Is just take notes. Like, you know, that's what I learned at, in college. You just take notes and you stay awake. So what, what can we learn? The first thing about, well, the story of the Tower of Babel, what it's all about is much years have gone by. And in Genesis 11, verse 1, we read, At one time, all the people of the world spoke the same language and used the same words. As the people migrated to the east, they found a plain in the land of Babylonia and settled there. And so what happened was, you know, after Noah, the, the population began to grow and they continued to go eastward and they settled into what is, you know, Mesopotamia. And in verse 3, it says, they began saying to each other, hey, let's make bricks and harden them with fire. In this region, bricks were used instead of stone and tar was used for, mot for motor. And, and um, um, then they said, hey, let's, let's build a great city for ourselves with a tower that reaches into the sky. Because when we do this, this will make us famous and keep us from being scattered all over the world. And as time went on, you know, after Noah, you know, I mean, this amazing deliverance of uh, Noah and his family, you know, built the altar. Remember, we talked about that to remember and worship him. But as time had gone on and generations had gone on, you know, they, they kind of began to forget about God. 
And they kind of forgot about God and began to drift away from Him. And, and what they sought to do was to build this city and they built this tower. And the goal was to make themselves famous, not to bring glory to God, who had done so much for them, who had remembered their ancestor Noah, you know, the whole thing. And unlike Noah, who decided to build this altar to give thanks and to worship God, what they wanted to do was build this tower just really to, for themselves that would reach to heaven. And then, you know, as people look back on early Mesopotamian culture, there's just a lot of evidence that the most important building in the, that early time was the early, this temple complex with the most prominent feature being a ziggurat, you know. And, uh, you know, most scholars agree that that's the kind of tower that they built, yeah, kind of like that, you know. Kind of looked like a pyramid, but it's really nothing like a pyramid, you know, those things. And, and what most scholars agree is that what was the major offense? Why did, we're going to find out that God kind of intervened. Why did God intervene? And, and the major offense was that they began to drift away from God, and they forgot about who God was, and began to look at themselves at the center of their lives. That whole goal is we're going to make ourselves famous and all that. No longer were people striving to worship God and to follow Him, but they were trying to actually reach heaven to bring God down to their level, you see? And, and, and it, was, it was like they were trying to, they were drifting to, to seeing, from seeing who God really is, and God is a God to be worshipped and served, to, to, be, to, to begin to envision that, you know what God is? God is like this genie in the bottle, you know? And that God is there to serve us. So we're going to make a tower, and you know, that way God can have access to where we are, and we're going to make God what we want God to be, and what we want God to be is a God who serves us. Because the whole goal is, man, we're great, and we can do anything. In fact, let's build this big old complex and tower that we're going to be famous. That's the whole goal now, you see? And we see people that were drifting tragically away from God. And you know, the thing is, that kind of happens today too, right? That we, we go from, God is the God to be worshipped. God who created us. God is all-powerful, all-knowing, all-everything. And now we think, ah, I know what God is. Anytime I'm in trouble, what do we do? We call on God. God, I need help. God, I got a test tomorrow. God, I'm in trouble. God, I'm sick, you know? And it's almost as though we've drifted away from worshipping God to God now serves us, right? And that's what was going on here. And then in verse 5, the Lord came down to look at the city and the tower the people were building and said, look, he said, the people are united and they all speak the same language. After this, nothing they set out to do will be impossible for them. And, and seeing this drift, God became concerned that they would absolutely, totally ignore him and go their own way. And because he knows that, you know, they have this, they were all born and inherited this sinful nature, that this drift away from him would eventually lead to a whole bunch of evil and destruction. And we saw an example of that in Noah's day, right? In Genesis 6, 5, it says the Lord observed during Noah's time before the flood and all that, as, as people just did exactly what they wanted to do, what happened? The Lord observed that the extent of human wickedness on the earth, and he saw that everything that people thought or imagined were consistently and totally evil. See, so here's God. He's looking. Oh, no, look. Look at, look. They're drifting away again, you know. 
They want to build this tower. Nothing will be impossible for them, but they're going to mess their lives. And with their sinful nature and without God, they were on a path of destruction. And so God, out of his love, right? God didn't look like, whoa, look at these guys. Who did think them? And out of his anger or, or meanness, no, it was out of his love that he took action. Verse 7. Come, let's go down and confuse the people with language, different languages. Then they won't be able to understand each other. In that way, the Lord scattered them all over the earth, and they stopped building the city. And that is why the city is called Babel, because this is where the Lord confused the people with different languages. In this way, he scattered them all over, all over the world. And you see, God's plan was, you know, I've got to shake things up a little bit for their own good. And I said, you know, I'm not going to destroy them ever again, right? And so here's what I'm going to do, that I'm going to give them these different languages so they can't really communicate with each other, confuse them enough, and use this opportunity to push them back from their drift and really back to my perfect design for their lives. Out of love, I'm going to bring them back. And you see, he gave Noah and his family some instructions, you know, and in verse nine, I mean, uh, chapter nine, verse one, the Lord said He blessed the word said He blessed Noah and his sons and told them, "Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth." And God, out of His great love and wisdom, kept mankind from spiraling down and drifting away uh, down to this destructive path and led them back to His call for them. You see, and that's what this whole story of Babel is about. That it's about this God looking, and again, we see that it's just so easy and so natural, and that's what we all do, that we kind of drift away from God. And over time, when we, can get, we can get to such a point that we totally forget about who God really is. And there's some things that we can learn from this story, because it's really easy for all of us. If we're really honest with ourselves, it's really easy for all of us to drift away from God. You know, I mean, it's like, say like you get sick or something and, and you stop coming service maybe like for one or two weeks or you go on vacation or whatever. You know what? It's just hard sometimes to get back in the groove. It's like, nah, I don't know if I, I'm tired today, right? You know, <clears throat> and we begin <clears throat> to drift away from God. And, and even more so, what's more damaging to me than that is that we begin to drift away from the God who loves us who is all-powerful, all-everything, that we're here to worship and to follow and to obey, and that we begin to see God as He's our genie in the bottle, man. You know, that's God. And I remember when I first became a Christian in high school, sadly, that's kind of what I believed because the whole deal when I was in high school was I did not want to go to hell, right? I was working at the cannery, you know, Del Monte Pineapple Cannery, and I saw what it was like, and I said, man, if hell is worse than this, that's the place I don't want to go, right? And so I had some guys sharing with me, and do you want to go to hell? No, I don't want to go to hell. And so I, I, I accepted Jesus, and it really, what it was for me, honestly, was like this insurance policy, like, all right, accept Jesus, God. And then I just went, I started to drift and went on my merry way. And you know what? I knew God enough. I had my insurance policy. I thought, man, I've got to go to heaven so I can just relax now. But every time I got into trouble, it's, God, I need help. God, I need that job. God, don't let another girl break up with me, please, please, please. Right, whatever. You know, and, and God wasn't who God really was. 
And just like this, God, out of his love for me, kind of drew me back, you know. And it was just amazing to me that out of his love. I didn't like it as it was going, I was going through it. But I look back and, man, that was the most loving thing he could have done, you know. And there's some lessons that we can learn. And the first thing is this, that we got to keep in mind that we got to guard ourselves against drifting away from God. That, man, we got to guard ourselves from drifting away from God. You know, to guard means to protect from danger, to secure against surprise, attack, or injury, to keep in safety, to defend, and to care for. You know, that's what is action. And we gotta, we got to really guard ourselves from this propensity to, to go out and drift away from God. And we need to be aware of some, some signs that maybe we're drifting, you know. One sign, like with these guys from the story, you know, am I beginning to trust in myself and not God for the things and decisions for my life? When you look at your life and all the decisions you make and all the things in your life, are you just trusting in who you are and what you know? And are you trusting in the God called Google and you just Google, you know, whatever? Or are you really seeking God? Are you going to God for the decisions you like? And if you're not, be careful because you might be drifting away from Him. Or... Am I beginning to worship things instead of worshiping God? You know, are we beginning to worship things? You know, things are pretty good and it's great. And, and pretty soon he's like, man, that car looks great. Or like, man, that thing, like that house, that whatever. And we begin to start focusing in and begin to worship things. And we kind of all just kind of forget about God and about worshiping Him. If that's beginning to happen, be careful. Guard yourself that you may be drifting away from God. Or... Am I beginning to seek personal recognition? You see, good things are happening at work or whatever, and people say, man, Mark, you're the greatest. You know, like, whoo, you get a raise, all these things. And are you beginning to seek personal recognition instead of bringing God glory, uh, you know, as, and the highest priority in your life? I mean, is that it? You know, is, that, is, is he kind of slipping? Because you're like, man, some great things are happening in my life. It must be me. You know, I'm this great person. And we forget, maybe God is lifting us up for a specific reason and a purpose. But we forget, we think, man, like, man, I'm good. Like, whoa, right? And if that's happening, then be aware. Guard yourself, because that might be an indication that you are starting to drift away from God. And you got to guard against that drift. The second thing is we got to remember that God loves us and He will... Do what he can, all right? He will do what he can to straighten our path because of his love. See, that, that he loves us. And when things happen, we're so easy to say, oh, God, so mean. God is so junk. God is whatever. But maybe God is loving us enough to straighten our path because we're kind of drifting off and he's kind of bringing us back, you see. The amazing thing is that God will often intervene like in the story of the Tower of Babel, and come to help face you back in the right direction. See, I find that amazing. That I've seen it a number of times in my life. That when I'm beginning to drift, God kind of straightens me back. I mean, how great of God. He's not letting me go down here and they're like, there goes Mark again. You know, no. He loves me. He's trying to bring me back. You know, that, that, that you know, sometimes we're, we're so busy, we don't see what God's doing. We're... We're busy he heading down the wrong path and, 
and you know, like the people who are really busy on this building project, you know, and out of God's love, He just kind of enters in to our lives. And that's such an amazing thing, you know, that God is not mean, that He's an all love, you know, He's a loving God, He's all knowing, all wise, all everything. And in His Godness, He sees and knows what is best for us. And He knows that drifting from Him is not the best for us. And so out of his love, he'll come and he'll begin to nudge us back in the, in the right direction. Hebrews 12, 10, and 11. Not one of my favorite verses, but I'm so glad because I see this operating in my life all the time. For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years doing the best they knew how. But God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness. No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. Right? That's true. It's painful. But afterwards, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. I'm gonna tell you, I can't tell you how many times I know God is disciplining me. You know? And sometimes I want to fool myself and I say, Oh, the enemy must be attacking me. I have a spiritual attack. No, it's God disciplining me. You know? And I need to humble myself and to see what God is doing. Say, God, thank you for your discipline. I don't like it right now. But you know, it always works out good, better for me. And if I'm ever drifting, God, will you discipline me and get me back? You know, and look at those times when you see, and you know, there are going to be times where you're going through a rough patch, but somehow you know God's behind it. You know, look at those as, as, as really, as, as times and situations where God is telling you how much he loves you. And if this verse is true in Hebrews 12, 10, and 11, and I know it's true because it's in the Bible, what that tells me is God loves me a whole lot. God loves me more than probably all you folks combined because he disciplines me all the time. I get disciplined all the time. Every time I get disciplined, oh, God loves me, you know? And, you know, sometimes my wife and I joke about it. I say, yeah, you know what? God loves me more than he loves you. No, he doesn't. I say, yeah, he does. How do you know he does? Because look how much times I just get disciplined. Oh yeah, maybe he does love me. No, he doesn't. You know, but but you look, yeah. That that look at these times as indication that God is active in your life, and that that He loves you enough to turn your back. Which leads us to the third thing: trust God and submit to His straightening and correction. Right? When God is doing this, you know, just submit, right? Okay. You if you grew up in families like I did, right? When it was time that you was gonna get Spanking, I was going to say lickings. When you get spanking by your, from your parents, from your, from your dad, especially when he got the belt, right? when he opened the door and behind the door is hanging his pants and you know the belt's coming out, what do you do, right? What did you guys do? This is what I did. I just, I was there, man. And as soon as he went back, I just started crying, right? I'm sorry, daddy. Boom, pow. What does my brother do? He runs away. I'm thinking, you know, you're kind of an idiot. Because where are you going to run? I mean, you can't run for the rest of your life. And the more you run, the more dad's going to get mad. Right? And then, when he finally gets caught, and he gets, boom, what is his first words? Not sore. You are an idiot, my brother. So what is, okay, no sore, or boom, he get licking, you know, like, oh, you idiot, you know. Right? And that's how we are sometimes. You know, that's how we are sometimes. That we got to trust God and submit to His straightening and correction. 
Because He loves us. God's not there to give us a licking. That He loves us. Revelations 3.19 says, I correct and discipline everyone I love. I correct and discipline everyone I love. So be diligent and turn from your indifference. Take heart that God loves you enough, loves you enough, really, to turn you back to Him. You're not always going to understand what He's doing. You know, you're going to think, man, what is God doing? And you're not going to think it's for your own good, but trust Him anyway. Instead of looking at the negative, look and remember who God is, you know, and what He's done in your life. Lamentations 3, 22 and 24 says, The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercy never ceases. Great is His faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance, therefore I will hope in Him. And even when you don't understand what God is doing and it seems confusing to you, God is confusing you, say to yourself, the Lord is my inheritance. The Lord is my inheritance. Therefore, I will hope and I will trust in Him. Got to remember what you know of God to be true and trust in that. Right? God is a God who loves us. God is, God who saves. God is the God who gave His one and only Son to die for us. He loves us that much. And when we're going through discipline, that's because He loves us. And maybe He's coming in our lives and maybe He's turning us this way because we're going the wrong way. And so, don't be hard-headed, right? Don't be hard-headed. And you just trust Him. The people really must have been confused and maybe angry at what God had done. They didn't understand what God was doing and why. But over time, I got to believe that they would see what God was doing because they saw God's faithfulness and love you know, for them. That God didn't confuse them and scatter them to punish them. right? Because we have all the rest of the Bible talking about how faithful God has been. And God didn't say, I'm going to confuse them and scatter them and say, you guys are on your own. No. It was to bring them back to him. You see, because he cared for them. There was another time in the, the, you know, when the nation of Israel had totally drifted from God. And as a result, they were taken into captivity to Babylon. And they felt abandoned by God. And even if it was their drifting away that got them in that mess, again, God, out of his love, sends his prophet Jeremiah to them you know, and to encourage them. And in Jeremiah 29, 11, that's where this verse is. Yeah? During this really tough time where they have been taken captive, right? They don't know how long they're going to be there, but it was because they had drifted away. They had turned to other gods. They turned away from God. But God, out of His love, says, no, I'm not through with you guys. I love you. And He brings them back. And He says this. While they're in captivity, He says, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not disaster, to give you a future and a hope. And in the midst of their captivity, God tells them, you know what, guys? I still love you, that you're loved, and that you're still in my plan. I haven't forgotten about you. I didn't forget about Noah. I didn't forget about the answers, and I haven't forgotten about you, you know, that I still love you, and I still have a plan for your life. And so just be encouraged that I'm with you. See? And... Let the Holy Spirit speak to you today that God 
will not forget you. God has not forgotten you. You know, that he loves you and he wants the very, very best for you. See, that's the God we sing about. That's the God we worship. And the question is, where are you right now? You know, you know just honestly ask yourself, where are you right now? You know, are you drifting and trusting in yourself more than trusting God? Or maybe things have gotten really, really good and comfortable and that you're beginning now to look at things more than you're looking to God, you know? Or, or maybe you're experiencing more and more success and you find yourself striving for more and more recognition and fame instead of seeking God, you know, and sharing His goodness with others. And you're doing that less and less. Is God still God Almighty in your life? Or, or, or maybe things have drifted and you've drifted and, and He's kind of become that genie in the bottle to you. That now you look and if you're really honest, you think, yeah, you know, I think I've drifted away and, and God is, I, I look at God like he serves me now, you know, just be honest because God's not going to be mean and be like, oh, that's how you think of me, lightning bolt, boom. No, God loves you. God loves us and he's trying to get our attention and, and he's trying to, to straighten out your path. And so maybe right now you're going through this kind of a challenging time. Maybe it's God trying to straighten out your path. Maybe trying to get your attention, you know. Or maybe you realize that God is calling you to Him in a real and loving way. That in the midst of all these challenges in your life, maybe it's becoming clearer and clearer and clearer to you. That, that maybe God is calling you to Him. And it's not to scold you. It's not to punish you. It's to call you into this loving relationship with Him. That it's God wanting to come into your life because he loves you. And you know, if you can relate to one of these things, wouldn't it be wise to do something about it today? If God is speaking to you today, then wouldn't it be wise to do something? That if you're drifting away from God, you know, and you realize that God is trying to straighten, back, straighten you back to him, or you feel God calling you to a real relationship with him, maybe just heed the words of James chapter 4, verse 8. So what God is saying to you today. Come close to God, and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. And maybe God said, maybe you've drifted. But hey, you know what? You draw near to me, I'll draw near to you. You, know? you come to me, I'll come to you. Wash your hands, purify your lives, and I'm just going to be right there. I'll straighten out your path. You know, you haven't gone so far that, you know what, you're done. No, that's never the case with God. God is always there to bring you back. And so if God is calling you, come near to God, and He's going to come near to you. All right? So why don't you stand, and we're going to pray. All right? And I want to ask you that we're gonna, as we pray, you know, you... Continue to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. And maybe in your life you think, yeah, I kind of drifted. You know? And when we pray, you just raise your hand and say, God, you know, if any of you feel like you've drifted, raise your hand and say, yeah, I think I kind of have been. That's not a bad thing that, oh, because we all do that. But when you do this, you're saying to God, James 4, 8, I'm going to draw near to God. God, come draw near to me. And then I'll just pray, pray for you folks.
pray for us. And some of you, God's calling you to a real relationship with Him. You know? And, and, and so, don't let today go by without saying, God, you know what? I feel you. Jesus came to die for you so that you can be in right relationship. He died on the cross for you. And all that's required is what? We acknowledge that, yeah, we've sinned. Because all have sinned, right? We're born with sin. And that we need a Savior. And we recognize that Jesus died on the cross for us. And if we do that, and we say, Jesus, will you just come into my life? God will come in. And you'll experience this real relationship. And God will straighten your path. And he'd do it like right now. That's who God is. So let's pray, all right? Let's bow your heads and let's pray. And if any of you feel like, man, yeah, I think I've kind of drifted from God, let's raise your hand. Just raise your hand. Yeah, just, you know, let's raise your hand, all right? Good. Yeah, let's raise your hand. Just be honest, you and God, right? And we say, God, thank you, Lord. Thank you that you love us. That, heck, you know, we all drift. And we're finding that, yeah, we've kind of drifted. We thank you that you're God who brings us back. Will you bring us back to you now, Lord? Will you straighten our path? We thank you that you discipline those you love and thank you, Lord, that you love me enough to turn me back. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. If any of you feel like, yeah, you know what, I, I think I need to start this relationship with Jesus right now, just raise your hand if you say, you know what, that's me. Good. Thank you. Yeah, that's you and God again. That's just you and God again. You know, let's just pray. Father, thank you that you draw us to you. And, when you. and you said, when we draw near to you, you draw near to us. Now all we got to do is wash our hands and purify our hearts. And we say, yeah, we've sinned. We've messed up. We need a Savior. Come into my life, Jesus. Be my Savior. I thank you, Lord. I thank you. So, Father, we thank you. Your great love for us, you don't want us to drift. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.